I'm just not sure I get it. All right, let me try to explain. Let's say I go up to the barista and I'm about to order, right? Right. And God knows what I'm going to order before I do, right? Okay. Well, if God already knows I'm going to order the Americano, then I'm not really free to order the latte, am I? Um, and you wanted to order the latte. Well, I guess not. I guess I wanted to order the Americano, but what troubles me is that I can't order the latte. Sure you can. You just order it. But, but I can't. If God already knows I ordered the Americano, how could I order the latte? If I did, God would be wrong. Okay, I see. And this is what you struggle with spiritually. Well, you see, it's actually a lot bigger than that. It has to do with my salvation. Oh. You see, right? Actually, I think so. Because, let's say, like when you were born, God already knew you were going to grow up, put your faith in Jesus, and receive his salvation that he offers. Then did you really have a choice not to do it? Exactly. I knew you'd understand. Definitely reminds me of discussions we had in seminary. If God knew I was going to be saved before I even made a choice, then did I really have a choice? And if God knew someone was not going to be saved before they even made a choice, then did they actually really have a choice? Exactly, because if God already knows your choice, how could you make any other choice than the one God already knows you made? How do you really have a choice? I hear that. And the fact that God knows everything really raises some interesting theological questions. So why don't I just muddy the waters further? Um, Go ahead. All right. So there's this philosophical question of whether something that hasn't happened yet even exists. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of that. If I haven't made a choice yet, then can that choice even really exist yet? Right. God knows everything that is. But some people wonder if our choices can be known before they even happen. Because if choices don't exist before they're made, then there's nothing to know. Mm, That's deep. (laughs) So until I make a choice, according to these people, no choice exists yet. And so maybe God doesn't know what I'm going to choose because there's nothing there to know yet. That's the basic idea. You know, it reminds me of a show that my kids like to watch, Doctor Who. (laughs) So that's about time travel, right? Yeah, because of relativity and all that, you can speed time up, you can slow it down, and theoretically, at least, maybe even go back in time. In the show, the doctor calls it wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. (laughs) Very scientific. It sounds like it. So now we're going from philosophy to physics. And, yeah, I've heard physicists now know that time is pretty malleable and unpredictable in some ways. My kids will even like this thought. So my choices may not exist yet in the present, but if God knows them in the future too, then my choices exist in the future, and so God knows them there, right? But God is also in the present and in the past, and so doesn't God in the present know my choices in the future? Maybe it's better not to base your theology on Doctor Who. (laughs) I thought I was basing it on physics. Well, maybe, but do we even know for sure that God is outside time or what that even means? Maybe 
we should focus on what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah, I guess there are some things that will remain a mystery. And besides, I think we're out of time. <laughs> well, thanks for letting me share, Anna. I'm feeling better. In fact, I think I'll get that latte after all. God knew that you would. <laughs> all right, so that's our introduction to the fact that God knows everything. But before we plunge in further, why don't we greet the people around us? So Psalm 139, verses 1 to 6, that's right about in the dead middle of your Bible, if you're having trouble finding it. For those of you who are, say, 14 years or older, do you remember beginning adolescence? It's full of big changes and and big surprises. And one of the most shocking, even traumatic things about becoming an adolescent is that you wake up one morning and it suddenly dawns on you that your parents have had a huge plummet in their IQ. (laughs) In fact, you realize to your surprise that they have lost so much common sense and so much wisdom and so much knowledge that you are actually smarter than they are. You know so much more than they do. What in the world happened to their brains? They don't know what you should wear. They don't know how late you should stay up or what movies you should be allowed to watch. They don't know who your friends should be. They certainly don't know good music when they hear it. (laughs) Well, the good news is that as you get older, maybe into your 20s or for sure in your 30s, your parents gradually recover and get smart again. (laughs) So why am I mentioning this? Well, I think that we as humans go through something similar with God. If we grow up knowing about God at all, most of us grow up thinking, assuming, or at least intellectually believing that God knows everything. But somewhere along the line, we go through our own spiritual adolescence and we begin to wonder where all God's smarts went. We figure... Maybe we can do a better job of figuring out how the world should be run or how we should handle various situations in our own lives. And so often we spend a good bit of our spiritual journeys wrestling, maybe not intellectually, but at least practically and existentially in the way we live our lives and in our hearts with whether God is really wise and whether God really knows more than we do. Well, we're continuing our series this morning on God's attributes, on what God is like. Last week, we looked at the fact that God is everywhere. God's omnipresence, as the theologians put it. And this morning, we focus on God's omniscience, God's all-knowingness. And then week after next, we'll look at God's omnipotence, God's all-powerfulness. These first set of attributes are called the incommunicable attributes of God. That means that God has these attributes and we don't, and we can't. They're part of what makes God God and us not God. And after we're done with these incommunicable attributes, we'll then move on to the communicable attributes of God, things like God's love, God's justice. These are qualities that we can grow to have too as we're transformed more into God's image. So today we focus on the fact that God knows everything. Think about it. Everything in the universe, God knows. This image here is is what's left of the supernova Cassiopeia. 
In terms of space distance, it's very close by to Earth. We can see it from Earth within the constellation Cassiopeia. I think we need a, a telescope to see it. It's, it's in our Milky Way galaxy. It's a mere 11,000 light years away. In other words, if you could travel the speed of light, it would only take you 11,000 years to get there. Of course, we can't travel anywhere near that fast, so if you took the fastest space vehicle currently available, the Helios 2, which travels an amazing 160,000 miles per hour, you could make the trip in a bit over 46 million years. Like I said, very close by in terms of space distance. This ex-supernova is also super small from a space perspective. Scientists estimate that it's a mere 10 light years across. On our Helios spaceship, we could travel from one end of it to the other in a mere 42,000 years. But here's the amazing thing. God knows about every square inch of it. What it's made of, what it all looks like, its temperature, you name it, God could tell you about it. That's amazing when you stop and think about it. And of course, there are so many other stars and other objects in the universe that to give you the number of them, I'd have to put at least 24 zeros at the end of that number, maybe far more. And God knows all about all of them. But that's just getting started because what if we go the other direction and instead of zooming out, we, we zoom into the subatomic level. Let's pick something really simple, like an electron. Now, this image is just a symbolic depiction because electrons are so small and they travel so fast that you can't see them, even with high-powered uh, microscopes. Do you know that electrons are perfectly spherical? So perfect, in fact, that if you blew an electron up in scale to the size of the whole solar system, it would be out of round, out of perfect round, by less than the width of one human hair. That's pretty perfect. And how big is an electron? Well, this is tricky to answer because according to scientists, electrons are point particles. They don't actually take up any space. No space, no size. And yet they do exist, and they do have mass, at least theoretically. So let me give you an idea of how much an electron weighs. To start, let's, let's take a... a tiny pinch of sugar from our sugar bowl in our kitchen and put a mere nine or ten grains of sugar and sprinkle them on one side of one of those old-fashioned double-sided balances. So on the sugar of the one side, and then let's think about how many electrons we'd have to pile up on the other side to equal the weight of those nine grains of sugar. Well, a single electron is so small that the number you need to balance out that scale is like this. It's it's like if you took a chunk of dirt and rock, maybe about this big from this earth, a, a chunk that weighs a kilogram, that's just over two pounds, and let's say that chunk is one electron. The number of electrons you would need to equal what's on the other side of that balance is equal to all of the one kilogram chunks that you could take out of the whole earth until the whole earth was gone. That's a lot of chunks. That is a lot of electrons. It's a number with 24 zeros after it. And that's how incredibly small a single electron is. It, it just boggles the mind. 
But of course, electrons are not the smallest particles we know about, not by far. For example, there are neutrinos, which are 100, or, sorry, 10 million times smaller than electrons. 10 million times smaller. Electrons are huge compared to neutrinos. The other interesting thing about electrons is that even though they orbit around nucleuses in atoms, contrary to our picture, they don't do it on nice, predictable elliptical paths. At any given second, you can't tell where electrons will be or where they're headed next. It it just boggles the mind. The more scientists drill down into the minute mysteries of matter, the more they aren't even sure what matter is or if there's anything really solid there. They wind up talking about energy and vibrations and attractive forces and words like that. And yet God knows all about it. God knows each electron and each neutrino and how it works and why it works. God sees it all, God understands it, and every moment God holds it all together. God knows everything. Can you imagine the kind of brain power to know everything about everything all the time? (laughs) I mean, even if you just ponder one tiny, tiny fraction of all there is to know in the universe, for example, the prayers that people are praying at any given moment, all the prayers being prayed right now. It's, it's a tiny bit of information compared to all the information in the universe, but a very important part, right? Let's say there are 600 million praying Christians in the world. It's a rough guess based on a little research I did. And let's say they pray an average of what? 10 minutes a day. It's probably higher because most Christians in the world pray a lot more than American Christians do. But let's just go with 10 minutes. That's about 4 million people praying at any given moment. Four million prayers at one time. Maybe some of you saw the the movie Bruce Almighty. This guy Bruce gets to try out being God, and in the movie, he directs everyone's prayers to email. He's a modern guy, right? And, And the emails are coming in so fast that he can't possibly even look at them all let alone respond to them, and so he automates, and he just decides he'll answer everyone's prayer with yes, which causes all kinds of problems in the world. But that's, that's beside the point. <laughs> Four million prayers all the time, constantly. And unlike Bruce, God knows everyone praying intimately. But not only does God have knowledge, and not only does God know everything, but God knows what to do with all of this information. Have you ever met someone who knows a lot of stuff but isn't very wise? Maybe they're a whiz at Trivial Pursuit. Maybe they have a PhD, but they keep making stupid decisions. (laughs) That's not what God is like. God is supremely wise. God knows exactly how everything fits together, what matters, why it matters, what it all means, and what to do about it. But question, do we really believe that? Do we trust God? God's plans and purposes. It's easy to question the decisions God makes, right? It's easy to doubt whether God is really doing what's best for the world or for your own life. Of course, we may question why God allows A to happen, but what we don't know is how things would be different if B happened instead. There was this movie in the late 90s called Sliding Doors, and I don't really recommend it, but the premise was really fascinating. 
Early in the movie, the main character, who's played by Gwyneth Paltrow, is, is running to catch the subway train home. She's just lost her job, she's distraught, and she catches the train just as the doors close. Phew, at least one thing went her way that day. But then the scene's played again, and in the second scene, she misses the train, and the, days, the, the doors close just before she can get on. And then the movie plays out in parallel two very different stories of how her life turns out based on whether she caught that train or didn't catch it. Okay, spoiler alert. (laughs) On the train, she meets a guy who in time becomes a new love interest. And she also gets home in time to catch her existing boyfriend cheating on her, and she dumps him. Missing the train, on the other hand, she gets mugged, and she winds up in the hospital briefly, and so she doesn't get home in time to catch her boyfriend cheating. And from there, these two parallel lives diverge in the movie. And of course, those sliding door moments happen to us all the time. Granted, often the consequences of one versus the other probably aren't as dramatic as in the movie, but sometimes you have to think they are. I mean, have you ever heard the story of how your parents or your, your grandparents met and you, you thought, wow, if that didn't happen, if they didn't meet the way they did, I wouldn't be here. And, and so we might question God's wisdom and we might say, God, why did you let this happen? But, but what we don't know is what sort of life was on the other side of that sliding door. And so question, can we trust the scriptures when they tell us that God is supremely wise. That God who sees the big picture knows best, better than we do with our very limited knowledge and limited wisdom as well. Now I'm not necessarily saying that everything that happens in the world is the best possible alternative in an absolute sense. And I'm not saying that we should just assume that when bad things happen, cheer up because the alternative would have been worse. I'm just saying that, that though we, we have questions and we struggle and, and we hurt, we, we, uh, we struggle with the way the world is and, and we, we may doubt God's wisdom, I'm just saying that, that we really have to grow to be wise ourselves and, and to remember that we certainly don't have nearly the information that God has. So we've got to temper the urge to be like adolescents who, who think we know better than our parents. When the truth is in humility that, that we have a lot of growing up to do. And, and so we're really not in a good position to draw judgments on how God is doing at running things. Isaiah uh, puts it well in Isaiah 40.13. Who can fathom the mind of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? And you know, if you've ever been in a position of significant leadership where you've been privy to sensitive or confidential information, then you realize this. Over the years in church life, I've been in leadership meetings where we knew certain things and we made certain decisions as a result. And what we knew was confidential. We couldn't share it. And of course, people who didn't know what we knew sometimes looked at the decision we made and said, that's dumb, (laughs) or or, that's mean. Why did they do that? And, And we just had to smile and say, well, no, we think it's best. And we couldn't tell them what we knew which would have defended or explained what we saw as the wisdom of our decision. And it makes me wonder how often the presidents over the years have had to do that. While the press and their political opponents are criticizing them up one side and down the other and imputing all kinds of dark motives to their characters, 
the presidents, I'm sure at times, just have to smile and carry on all the while thinking, if you know what I knew, you wouldn't be saying that. Well, that happens to God all the time. God knows far more than we do. And so, will you stand with me humbly and in awe of God's knowledge and God's wisdom? Well, in our psalm, the the psalmist makes this all very personal. He, He reflects, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar You discern my goings out and my lyings down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hand me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. How amazing that God knows us. Not only that God knows us, but that God knows us intimately. As intimately as we know ourselves, or actually more intimately, in fact. I mean, how many people in your life really understand you? Not too many, right? To think that that we are invited to pray to a God, to relate to a God who really understands us. God knows the dreams and the desires which lie buried deep within our hearts, the regrets, the disappointments, the aches. God knows where we're tender, where we're insecure, where we we long for love and for affirmation and exactly how we need to receive it. God knows our hurts. God knows our hopes. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, the psalmist exclaims as he reflects on this. But then it goes even deeper because how well do we really understand ourselves? Jeremiah 17.9 says about the human heart, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then God answers, I the Lord search the heart and I examine the mind. God understands why we keep doing that thing we tell ourselves we're going to stop doing. God knows those painful memories we've, we've blocked out and we keep trying to forget. God knows why we react so negatively to that or when that person touches that, that sore point, that touchy place in our personality. God knows why we can't get along with that person at work. God knows what we're secretly afraid of that's, that's causing us to be stuck when it comes to trusting God more and growing spiritually. God knows the lies we tell ourselves and how the truth, scary as it is, would set us free. God knows the ways we keep resisting God and his word, the verses we skip over and we don't take to heart and we won't obey. God knows the walls we put up and and say, God, I'm not going there. I'll do this, but don't ask me to do that. God knows our hearts through and through. God knows how we deceive ourselves and flatter ourselves with reassurances that we're not so bad. We're at least as good as the next guy. God knows it all because God traffics in the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Nothing is airbrushed, nothing is prettied up, nothing is rationalized away with God. 
God sees it all for what it really is. God knows everything. And that's both a comfort and it's a warning. First, what a comfort that God knows us. Maybe nobody else understands, but God understands. God really understands what we feel and what we're going through. Also, what a comfort that God knows all of who we are and loves us anyway. If, if we'll allow God to love us, if we'll receive that love through Jesus Christ, because if in faith we're following Jesus, then there's nothing new about us that's going to come out into the open and cause God to reconsider his love for us. God's not going to say, yikes, I thought I loved you, but I didn't know that about you. <laughs> Once I lived with a guy, he, he was engaged to a young woman who lived in another city. And one time she called our apartment all in tears and she said she was coming to town right then and she needed to see him right away. It turns out she had been doing an engaged, uh, a Bible study for engaged couples and it was talking about the importance of being truthful um, about who you really are and that this is the basis of trust and it's the basis of intimacy. And she'd been convicted because evidently there was something about her, something significant that she hadn't told her fiancé, or maybe she'd even led him to believe otherwise. And now she realized that this was wrong and she wanted to come clean to him. And yet this was a risk, right? Because what if once he knew he changed his mind about her? What, what if he thought less of her? What if he felt betrayed and he broke off their engagement? But she had to take that risk. Love compelled her, and she, so she, she told him the truth and she came clean. And he didn't reject her. And God never will either. Because God already knows. God knows it all. All the stuff you, you hide from others, the stuff you even hide from yourself, God knows it. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ and you ask his forgiveness, then nothing is going to change how God feels about you. Listen to the late pastor and writer A.W. Tozer as he ponders this. How unutterably sweet is the knowledge that our Heavenly Father knows us completely. No talebearer can inform on us. No enemy can make an accusation stick. No forgotten skeleton can come tumbling out of some hidden closet to embarrass us and expose our past. No unsuspected witness in our character can come to light and turn God away from us since he knew us utterly before we knew him and called us to himself in the full knowledge of everything that was against us. What a comfort. God knows us fully and yet God loves us completely. God knows everything and still God loves us. But second, there's also a warning here for you if you're hiding. If you're pretending to be someone that you're not. If you're choosing not to think about aspects of who you are or what you've done and just to ignore them in hopes that if you ignore them, God will too. Guess what? You're not fooling anyone. Well, maybe you're, you're fooling other people. Maybe you're even fooling yourself. But you aren't fooling God. Because God knows everything. God already knows. God knows your past. God knows your dark secrets. 
in their full ugly realness. God knows the dark emotions that we hide behind our smiles. We can't hide them from God. We can't wish them away. And so by hiding them, what we're doing is, is we're being like that young child playing hide-and-seek who covers their eyes and thinks no one else can see them. Guess what? God sees all of you, even if you're trying not to. God remembers, even if you're trying to forget. It's not going away. It's not going to be forgotten. But it can be forgiven. And so the best thing we can do is get honest and get real and just beg God for mercy and throw ourselves upon God's grace. One time Noel Gallagher, the, the singer of the band Oasis, was talking to Bono, the singer of the band U2. And Noel was asking Bono about Bono's faith and Noel describes later their conversation to the Sunday Times. He says, we had a good three-hour conversation about Bono's religious philosophy, which is basically go to God Tell him what all your flaws are and say, God, can you work with me? (laughs) God, will you forgive me? God, will you wash me clean? God, will you change my heart? Will you make me new? God, you already know it all. There's no sense hiding it, so I'm coming clean about it too. Now, God, will you change me? Will you transform me? Can we begin anew together? And the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God will always forgive us when we put our trust in Christ and ask for that forgiveness. So let's pray.